Maybe you've heard lots of talk about chakras and breathing exercises and other questionable healing aids from lay people. But since your doctor hasn't told you about them, you consider them suspect and still don't try them. I mean, if it were valid, you'd get a prescription from your doctor for it, wouldn't you? Not really. And today on the podcast, my guest, neurologist Dr. Maya Sheetreet, is going to share the validity of healing modalities from indigenous peoples. She's the go-to medical expert on this topic and will share an earth healing bundle with you with actions to begin to take today to reconnect with the earth, your breath, and your heart. All necessary steps on the path to healing. I'm Dr. Karen, and this is another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Maya Sheetreet, MD, is a neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and author of The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, Happy Child, which has been translated into 10 languages. She has been featured in the New York Times, The Telegraph, NPR, Sky News, The Dr. Oz Show, and more. Dr. Maya is the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she teaches terrain medicine, earth-based programs for transformational healing. She works and studies with indigenous communities and healers in Ecuador and is a lifelong student of ethnobotany, plant healing, and the sacred. Welcome, Dr. Maya. So glad to have you. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm very excited for you to talk about some of the modalities that you know about that most other physicians don't so that you can help people listening really understand that there is there's validity to a lot of the tools that they've been hearing about like pranayamas breathing exercises that i talk about all the time and i think the more that they hear it from people who in their worldview are credentialed to be the experts i think the more likely people listening are to try these modalities and this is why i think it's so vital but first i just want you to start by telling everyone how did you become interested in ethnobotany and indigenous cultures healing that's a big question, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, as these stories often are. I mean, I would say, you know, just to kind of in quick response to what you just mentioned, that, um, you know, I, I always really like to, part of my mission, I think, um, with my patients and my students is, um, and the people in my life, is to really... Um, you know, learn to listen to all the information out there, but actually to know that there's validity to their own experiences. Because I think in our society, we've been asked very much, especially in the health and medicine realm, but really everywhere, to put our trust in the opinions of others, um, experts who, you know, don't always have our best interests at heart, number one. We could, we could go there with the kind of <laughs> corporate interests and other things that are going on. But, but even more than that, um, that don't necessarily know what our, our experience, our lived experiences look like, you know? So it's really important to me um, that people know that they, their own experiences, when they partake of a particular treatment and they find it helpful, it, it almost really doesn't matter <laughs> 
um, whether someone else thinks it's valid. If you experience healing and benefit, then it's valid, you know? Um, my own experience, my own journey through this was that I was a very, actually a very, um, you know, I was like a little forest creature as a child. I grew up in a suburban neighborhood, but I was an only child. I had to keep myself busy a lot of the time. I was a child of the 70s, so no one really cared <laughs> what I was doing and where I was a lot of the time, um, you know, as long as it was daylight hours. And I used to go to this creek that was in my neighborhood, and I would play by this creek for hours, and I'd make potions, and I'd build little, what I realized later were like little offerings and altars of stones and sticks and plants, and I'd search for muskrats. I mean, I was really <laughs> living that life um, for quite a while. And of course, as you get older, people, you know, I kind of maintained that sense of wonder and joy um, with nature. And even though that was considered kind of weird <laughs> by a lot of people, I think, um, and uh, I, and I, I got kind of was called into medicine um, because I was interested in, I saw a Bill Moyer special on um, mm -hmm. healing and the mind. And I, I think I was in college at the time and I saw this um, young girl who, who was actually very sick with lupus and she couldn't tolerate her meds because they were causing her to go into renal failure. And then they would give her castor oil every time she took her meds. And then they stopped giving her meds, but her body responded exactly as if she were still on meds. And they said, this is um, called psychoneuroimmunology. And I thought, that's amazing. That's what I want to do. And I'm going to go to med school. And I even wrote my med school essay about that. And they let me in, which is kind of shocking. You know that the universe had something to do with that. Um, and, and then I, you know, I went for years just immersed in learning, you know, conventional medicine. I mean, that was actually um, where I didn't think about much of this stuff at all until I was actually finishing my fellowship in neurology. So I had done med school and I had a baby in med school. I did pediatrics and had a baby while I was doing pediatrics. And then I did neurology fellowship. And while I was doing that, I got pregnant. I had a baby, my third baby. And um, he was sick. He got sick uh, very early with, over the course of, uh, at the, basically on his first birthday, with breathing issues. And um, what ended up after 10 months of very difficult, scary, you know, delve into the medical system on the other side, as, you know, the mom of a patient, um, I discovered it was related to his food. And he had been on antibiotics, he'd been on steroids, he'd been on, you know, inhalers, the whole thing, sick constantly, um, until we figured out he was allergic to soy. And that took me on this very deep journey into food and food as medicine and really brought me back to what I had originally been interested in when I came to medicine way back when, um, in the process of helping him heal, I realized that a lot of the answers were in nature or in food and soil. And, you know, back then I dove into the gut brain connection in ways that, you know, this was not something that you saw in Time Magazine or, you know, in the Washington Post. It was like very, you know, much only in the literature and the scientific literature. And I dug all that up and kind of helped him heal. Um, now he's a, you know, knockwood, a healthy 14 year old boy. 
but also um, started to help my patients and ended up writing a book called The Dirt Cure. And that took me into a journey even further into starting to study um, with uh, indigenous healers and learn about different kinds of healing power of plants in the jungle, all different kinds of plants. And um, sometimes you don't know where your journey is going to take you, but it's <laughs> a very windy and interesting road. I don't know. Should we say you're lucky if you don't know where the journey's going to take you? Because that's the adventure of it. <laughs> well, right. I mean, one of the, what's the saying? May you live in interesting times. Like, <laughs> I think the more you're willing to go on the journey, the more, you know, adventures and obstacles come in your direction. But I mean, I think that's part of, you know, why we're here. So. Right. And, and it's why we're sitting here talking, because I didn't know the journey would lead here. But here it is. You don't know what you know until you know it. And now that I know that mainstream medicine is not the way to heal and have healed myself, I really feel passionate about helping others. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast to talk about some of the tools that you found on your journeys mm -hmm. that are valid and people can start using and just talk about some of the most surprising things that you've learned or what you think could be most beneficial. Wow. Well, that, you know, <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll keep it kind of general, but I think, you know, at least in categories, but I think, you know, what I, I mean, what I talk about in, in the dirt cure in my book um, I think are really foundational things, the most foundational things, which are being exposed to germs and microbes, eating fresh food from healthy soil, and being outdoors in nature. So those are like the fundamentals, right? That's going to, once you kind of start engaging, right, we've got a real fear of germs. And a lot of people will ask me like, you know, what's the difference between a germ and a microbe? So I, you know, really the answer to that is germs are just a pejorative term for microbes. Like right. now we're like microbes are good, you know, and before they were germs, like when Louis Pasteur first discovered, you know, or came up with the germ theory, um, people stopped eating yogurt. They stopped eating um, sourdough bread, you know, they stopped eating fermented foods because they were considered to be contaminated. You know, now we're like, this is what we need to heal our immune systems and heal our guts and have healthy bodies. But back then that was not the case because everyone got so afraid of germs. So for me, like this idea of getting dirty is really fundamental. And I think, you know, both as a treatment and as a preventive, like getting out into nature is really powerful. Um, you know, in many, many, many ways. And we have all this science. We're really, you know, it's like common sense in a way, but we also have all this science that shows that uh, we focus better after being in nature, even if like a child is on a very green playground, right? Versus like turf or mm -hmm. black. Um, you know, our focus is better. Our memories are better. Our mood is better. Um, and our sleep is better, and even things that we can measure like cortisol levels, which are related to stress hormones, goes down when we're in the woods. Um, our immune systems become more active, meaning uh, we have an increase in natural killer cells, and those scavenge for cancer in our bodies, among other things. That increases. Anti-cancer proteins also go up when we spend time in nature, and there's data on all of this. So 
being in nature beyond like it feels really nice like part of why it feels so nice is that we're having all these incredible benefits in our bodies mm -hmm. um, so i think you know and obviously food as medicine is a very powerful you know topic these days yes absolutely so dirt getting dirty and uh, being in nature and food and medicine definitely are important. Um, I usually talk to people about getting out in nature to increase the parasympathetic and decrease that cortisol because it's all about queen cortisol, mm -hmm. what I call it. Um, so you've trained as an herbalist and have special expertise in the use of plants. What are some plants that you've found to be extremely beneficial for people when it comes to health and healing? Ooh, I mean, it really depends. I'm going to give you, again, there's, you know, a universe of plants out there. So if we, if we talk right. about a particular disorder, it might be a little easier, but, um, you know, or a particular kind of person. But I would say there are some ones that are good for most mm -hmm. people. And I would say one of those would be dandelion. Mm -hmm. so dandelion is, you know, one of the ways that we can know that a plant is, has a lot of benefit for a lot of people and in a big amount and frequently is how, how much you see it around you. So dandelion grows in most people's yards, you know, pretty copiously, unless you spray poison, you know, or have some very specific way of keeping them away. And I'm, of course, the crazy person in my neighborhood who, you know, rejoices when my yard is full of dandelion. And I live in a neighborhood <laughs> where people have gardeners and, you know, I get lots of dirty looks about my lawn when it's covered in <laughs> dandelions. But um, dandelion is wonderful because... Um, it's a very nutritive plant, um, mm -hmm. and it's very helpful for liver detoxification, supports liver detoxification, and it actually nourishes us. So you might notice that dandelion like, isn't something that grows um, and blooms all season long. You know, I mean, we, don't, we see that blooming <coughs> right in the beginning of the spring, and that's mm -hmm. because all winter we've been kind of um, eating and staying inside a lot and maybe not moving as much as we usually do and we kind of accumulate you know a lot in the winter and then spring comes around and it's time to kind of release and detoxify whatever we've let build up over the winter so dandelion has bitters in it which are incredibly beneficial for almost every system in our body but we have bitter receptors not just in our mouth by the way but in our entire digestive tract, all the way down to our stomach, our liver, gallbladder, um, pancreas, when we eat dandelion or drink dandelion tea, which is one of my very favorite kinds of tea to drink, um, you get all these wonderful bitter components that um, stimulate all these receptors. So you have increased gastric motility, which means you're, um, you're not going to have as much bloating and burping and gas. Um, you have increased stomach acid, so you digest your food more easily. Your blood sugar levels stabilize. Your liver detoxifies more. Your immune system in your GI tract and in your ear, nose, throat increase. So you are less likely to get a, you know, a gastroenteritis or a sinus infection or a cold or strep throat, uh -huh. those things. So dandelion is amazing. Eating the leaves. I actually make fritters from the blossoms, and they are so, so, so good. Um, you know, I make a little batter out of basically a little bit of quinoa flour and egg and, um, and rice milk sometimes, 
and I just um, dip it in and they're and and kind of do a, a gentle frying of them and they're really really good so there's all kinds of ways to enjoy dandelion and all of those ways are boosting all of these different things uh -huh. in your body so that's one of my favorites yeah, right. and one that basically anyone can benefit from I love that and I'll have to try the fritters and then one of the things that I've really been focusing on recently is the holistic treatment of menopause what are some of your favorite herbals to use for menopause so I love um, one of the things I love the most for menopause is um, motherwort so mm -hmm. motherwort I love because um, and I think of I think of her as like a wise elder <laughs> in terms of plants um, you know, kind of like a, a matriarch plant. And um, so she has this uh, powerful um, balancing of mood, which is really, really helpful. Really, I mean, it can be for a woman of any age, but I think, you know, during menopause is a particular time um, that we can kind of benefit from, from having that kind of uh, mood support and taking things down a few notches, you know? but also very gentle support of hormones. And so as things are kind of going a little bit haywire and getting a little more irregular through that transition, I really, really love um, kind of her, um, you know, this balancing that that motherwort offers. So motherwort mm -hmm. is one of, I think, the top um, plants that I recommend during that period of time. I also think that um, I actually like plants like dandelion and red clover as well. Mm -hmm. Red clover is a really nice one. Also a plant that we often see growing all over our yards is like little kind of paintbrush looking thistly kind of pink mm -hmm. flowers. Um, and you can actually gather those assuming you're not, you know, spraying your yard with pesticides and, and make a tea, you know, make a tea from them. Red clover tea is incredibly balancing and also very nutritive so you're getting lots and lots of nutrients um, and that's mm -hmm. really important in transition because during times of transition um, we're we're using a lot of resources we have to work harder to kind of stay in balance yeah. so um, I love those gentle benefits Mm-hmm. And has the literature validated in any either of those for treatment of menopause? Just curious. Well, you know, I don't know that they've, I'd have to look and see because there's so much research coming out mm -hmm. in herbal um, remedies all the time. For example, right. I look a lot at, um, you know, but I just want to say research on anything related to menopause is like crickets. <laughs> Nobody's but, running around doing all this research on anything for menopause, by the way. It is so true. And can you explain to people why that is? <laughs> ah, well, <laughs> I'll give you my, I'll give you my understanding of it, which is, you know, um, you know, in medicine, uh, there, you know, I'm trying to think of how to say it, but I mean, I would say in medicine, um, we don't always support women's health in the way we could best do it. And if you are, you know, a woman of color, forget about it. Nobody's, you know, and, and we see that actually in, in statistics of, you know, when a woman goes to the hospital to give birth to a baby, you know, no health problems, um, you know, no socioeconomic difference, um, you know, 
there are women, women of color are, are more like, you know, are more likely to have complications, are more likely to, to die. Their babies are more likely to have complications and die. This has to do with, you know, things like medical misogyny and, and medical racism. So these are real issues, which um, we see translated also into research. Like the research mm -hmm. is not happening on women's issues in the way that it's happening in men's issues. And we could even see that too, like with what's covered by insurance, right? Like if mm -hmm. you are a man and you want Viagra, that's covered by insurance. If you're a woman and you would like birth control pills, that's not covered by insurance. You know, there's a lot of, there, and, and it goes so much deeper. So, you know, we see a lot of this in science, like things that are specifically for issues that are unique to women um, are, the, the research is just far more limited. The funding is less, um, you know, labs are not dedicating themselves to that. And women who might be doing that research might not get the same opportunities in research and in medicine that, the men are getting. Mm -hmm. So this is a real issue. It's a real issue. And, you know, the more of us that are in medicine that are women and that have voices and care about this um, and platforms, you know, we need to be talking about that all the time. But, you know, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, sure, there's scientific research for a lot of these things. And I always look at safety first and foremost, because mm -hmm. I always want to make sure that, you know, we want to make sure no harm is done, number one. Um, and then we can look at the benefits. Um, but, you know, there's two ways of knowing, right? There's this way of knowing, which is the scientific way. And this is actually a very, I'm not saying science is a modern invention, but the way we talk about science as being kind of these large scale studies that are very, very expensive and really like no individual could do this kind of study. Um, so it's very controlled by, you know, corporate money and things like that. That's a new way of doing science. And the the age-old uh -huh. way, which was done for thousands of years, is working with the plants and the people. And people had wisdom, which they wrote about, they spoke about, they told in, in um, you know, stories. And when I say stories, I don't mean like a story you make up, but stories that are passed down, like Aboriginal people in Australia have these have these songs that they would sing, and the the children have to sit and absorb and memorize thousands of unique songs that tell all this information about their culture, um, including medicine and including where sacred sites are and all these very important, you know, um, treasures of um, So, you know, we have a lot of data um, it's just not always the kind of data that doctors would like demand right now. And there's plenty of that data. Like if you look up reishi mushroom or Ganoderma lucidum, you know, you'll find actually probably thousands now of papers, just as an example. Mm -hmm. So it's not that there aren't, the, there's not no science. There's plenty of science on many things, but I also believe very strongly in looking at the, looking at the lineage and looking at uh, traditional wisdom because, you know, we've made it this far Mm -hmm. <laughs> not just by doing randomized controlled, you know, studies that, you know, had 50,000 people in them. Right. And I, I think it is important for people listening to understand the politico-socioeconomic 
factors that go into what we know or don't know about women's health and and how we're treated and that there are biases in medicine and that the fact that there's no standard of care for checking women's hormone levels in the appropriate ways with saliva or urine metabolites tells you right there something's wrong because we check everything in medicine and and for instance bioidentical hormones which i talk about a lot being a gynecologist who's holistic people the mainstream party line is oh they're not valid there's no very large uh double blind placebo controlled trial but the fact is there are hundreds if not into the thousands of small-scale trials and it's been used in Europe for many many years and been shown to be safe and effective so what Dr. Maya is talking about is so true and there's a reason that indigenous cultures had the practices that they had that um, herbalists that were passed down traditions from cultures for thousands and thousands of years still persist because there is some validity and there are other ways of learning before the double-blind placebo control trial paradigm came up in um, the last century. So I love what you're saying about that the children, the Aboriginal children, have to learn thousands of songs about the culture. And I'm assuming that part of that is there are their healing traditions and plant information. And what, what are some examples of maybe healing tools that they had to learn songs about or plant traditions? Um, well, I would say, you know, I'm not, I would not say I'm an expert necessarily yeah. in, in all of the detail, all of the details of, you know, what Aboriginal, you know, communities, and there's so many, you know, there are so many nations. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but what I um, have experienced in, um, you know, when I've gone to the Amazon, for example, and learn with um, communities there, I've seen, um, you know, I've seen and I've been taught uh, the way that they interact with these plants and, um, you know, first of all, like they're the jungle or the land in general, wherever, you know, wherever they are, is, is, like, a, is like a person. <laughs> they, they come with deep respect as if that, as if that place is a, is a generous giving elder and they and they're so grateful and they're you know so part of knowing the plants that can heal are not like how can i use this for me you know it's about coming in a state of appreciation and gratitude and we mm. know actually now right us our western culture knows all about you know through the heart math institute that there's all these benefits to being in a state of gratitude and appreciation all these physical measurable benefits which we can talk uh -huh. about in a minute but, you know, they're coming to the land, first and foremost, in that place of gratitude and appreciation, and they're singing to the land. You know, no person, no person I've met that, um, you know, has passed down indigenous information plants a seed without a whole ritual involved, which includes singing mm -hmm. certain songs 
includes doing certain actions, doing it at certain times relating to the moon and relating to um, like the way the wind is blowing. They're, they're very, you know, these are, this is like a so much richer knowledge than, you know, we can imagine, yeah. truly imagine. And so when they, when they start to interact with a plant, one plant, you know, this plant may be so many things to them, may offer them so many things. It might offer them food. It would offer them medicine. It might offer them jewelry, you know, would, let's say, you know, paint their faces or their bodies. It might offer them shelter, you know, mm -hmm. and clothing. So these are, these are powerful connections where they feel very intertwined. Like these are family, they're family. So that's kind of like the way that the attitude of of people with their plants. And I know that that's not just, you know, I think a lot of us think of indigenous people as being some foreign thing, you know, especially if you're in the US, like, oh, like these are rare exotic people. No, like here in the US too, you know, first of all, they're not exotic. <laughs> Second of yeah. all, here in the US, you know, I've seen and learned, I'm so blessed and honored, I should say, to have learned from native people who live all, all over the US. Um, and uh, also from people who have grown up in places like New Orleans and like, um, you know, Haiti and people mm -hmm. who have, um, you know, knowledge of like voodoo and um, all of these African um, practices and African spirituality where there's also powerful knowledge about how to interact with medicine, how to interact with the earth, and the way that I would say across the board, um, no matter what continent I've been on, you know, when mm -hmm. I've studied in Australia, when I've studied, um, you know, in South America or Central America or, or in North America, um, the one thing I would say is that all of these cultures do not think of medicine as being something just for your physical body. Med illness mm -hmm. and medicine is physical, emotional, and spiritual. And if you're looking at a physical problem, guaranteed, if you go to a medicine person, and this is definitely how I work in my practice now after studying, you know, um, for so long, um, you're looking first at the spiritual. Absolutely. And that's something that I talk with people that I work with about all the time. It's not just your physical self. You're not a machine. Um, you're animated by this force that is measurable, um, partly through your heart coherence and things like that, that electromagnetic frequency um, that, that the body puts off. And so really helping people to understand that you've got to look at the mental, emotional, spiritual aspect if, if you want physical healing. And, and a lot of times I find when people are wanting to physically heal and they hit that ceiling and they can't get there it's it's that extra piece and so if you're listening i hope that you're hearing what dr Maya is talking about but this is pretty standard and and actually even in the united states um back before well if you go back a couple hundred years there still was an aspect of spirituality to healing um but at some point there was that separation of church and state and separation of spirituality from science and the physical um that really made the split and so i think that we're coming back into this place now where people are recognizing that 
there needs to be a union, that there is a union. And so you can't separate the two. What are some practices that you help people? Go ahead. No, I was going to say actually that this is something I'm writing about now for my next book is when did we really divide? Um, when did science kind of, um, or when did we, let me say like this, you know, what I'm writing about now is when did um, this idea of, you know, self-empowerment through, you know, mind, body, spirit kind of uh, disappear, you know, or when did it go underground? Because I would say it never really disappeared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I tracked it back to is actually the European witch hunts, which is about 400 years ago, four to 500 years ago in um, Europe. That was a a time where women were actually the holders of this kind of knowledge, the wise women and the herbalists and the, um, you know, and the midwives um, who knew and held this kind of ancestral knowledge. And, um, you know, for various reasons, which I write about and also teach about in my school, uh, this was actually, um, you know, we were, women were destroyed as a, as a tactic to create kind of terror around this. And that was at the same exact time as the birth of the scientific method and modern science and modern medicine and the idea of body as machine. So there is actually a time I feel we can pinpoint. It's certainly not the beginning of like all of these issues. These are longstanding issues that have come and gone in various ways, but that was a very seminal time where women um, who were kind of the holders of a lot of this healing knowledge and of the idea of intuition and even magic mm-hmm. um, were were destroyed for having that. And then it all kind of got placed in some kind of mainstream, what became mainstream at the time it was not, um, but in the hands of, of men in a kind of conventional medical establishment. You know, and I'm not saying nothing good mm-hmm. came of that, but we definitely um, drove a lot of, knowledge mm-hmm. and intuition and connection between science and spirituality underground. And I think it's, we're all witnessing right now a huge reemergence of that mm-hmm. um, in, in this country and all over the world. That's fascinating. So you're saying that because women were in their power with this knowledge and these skills, that the patriarchy did not want that. And that's what incited the witch hunts and then it went underground, and and that's fascinating. And I really think we're. I recently read a book called Witch, <laughs> and um, there's so many out there. I've seen others since, but it really means a woman in her power, in her full power, and that means that she's in touch with her. And tell me if you agree with this or not, um, with her spiritual power, her emotional, mental, physical, all aspects, of and, her and power. sexual power. And sexual. You know, because we're talking probably to a lot of women here and, you know, because of the work you do and the work that I do, you know, I think um, that, you know, we've all, to a great degree, developed a lot of shame um, around our sexual power, which is actually, you know, just talking about it, I think makes a lot of people feel really squeamish or uncomfortable or ashamed or embarrassed. And, um, you know, that's, you know, cr- the creative power, the creative force of women, which is not just about having babies, right? I mean, but that kind of sensual and sexual, um, like, 
draw and energy mm-hmm. is something which is powerful. And, you know, I think part of that period of the witch hunts and it's happened, the, you know, I consider what we're in is the post witch hunt era still, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one of the arguments I kind of make in my, in my school and in my book is, you know, we're emerge we have to emerge from that still because we're walking around feeling like we have to be thin and hairless and, you know, quiet and not to this and not to that and certainly not too sexy. And if you are, it's like both you're somehow, you know, when we see what sexual energy looks like, because women who are in it are both, you know, have all eyes on her and are also totally reviled at the same time because we have the virgin whore thing that goes on. So I think, you know, for me, a lot of this kind of like talking about like witches and witchiness or all of this idea of women being in their full power has to do with us, you know, being willing to reclaim our, our sexual desire and our, our, um, and be, and have pride in it, actually have pride in it, right? Because, because it isn't just about, you know, how are we, how do we know we're in our power, really? I feel people talk about that all the time. What does that really mean? And a lot Mm -hmm. of it has to do with having, I don't mean pride in like the seven deadly sins way, but I mean like have pride in it, like have confidence and have a sense of agency, right? These are the things that make women powerful. And, and we are very powerful, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love that we brought this up and that we're talking about it because I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of, of what's happened in the past and what's going on now. So I think that's wonderful. What are some healing rituals that you've come across in indigenous cultures around the perimenopause and menopausal? Are there other rituals besides the use of plants? Well, absolutely. And a lot of what's done, interestingly, I mean, I wouldn't say outside of the use of plants per se. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, plants are so integrated into not every, but almost every ritual that I've learned about. And Mm -hmm. that's part of been my study of ethnobotany, right? Because ethnobotany is not just like, what does this plant do for me? I'm going to ingest it in pill or tincture or tea. But it's, it's sort of like, how do I work with the plant world? And it can be you know, through growing it, like I grow certain plants, you know, and, and just spend time with them. I grow an ayahuasca plant actually in my home and uh-huh. not for ingesting and, and not for, you know, doing anything other than I, I just sit, I sit and meditate next to this plant and work with this plant as a, as a, as a sort of gesture of respect and learning. Um, uh-huh. so, so the way, you know, when I've learned from indigenous people, um, you know, there are certain kind of plants that I've learned about that I wouldn't have known about, but also a lot of those plants are ne- not necessarily available to me here. And I'm, and I'm cautious, you know, about appropriating plants from other people's cultures, although we could argue that ayahuasca, you know, although it does grow in lots of parts of the world um, very nicely, you know, we want to be cautious about that. Um, but rituals uh, that I've seen, and some of them are, you know, not things that I do in my practice, but um, looking at hip closing. So there's a lot of, of um, you know, and this is not just for women in the menopausal stage. It can be during, it can be at menstruation. It can be mm-hmm. in cases of sexual assault. Um, and that's something which, you know, even years and years later, you can still address. Um, it can be before and after pregnancy and certainly you know, perimenopause um, and, and during menopause. So 
uh, doing kind of hip closing, and there are people who can be trained, who are trained in this, mm -hmm. um, where where they actually will put a scarf and do almost. It's a beautiful thing, you know. Women do this for women, where they'll. It's almost like they're dancing together, and it's called hip closing. It's a hip closing technique, and one of my teachers um, used to or does, you know, this kind of practice teaches people this practice. So that's one very powerful thing. Also, using things like um, different oils, rubbing mm -hmm. it into the uterine area. So um, one of the, um, I'm trying to think of one of my favorites, bergamot mm. is a beautiful, beautiful um, oil, essential oil. And you mix it in, you can mix it into another oil and just massage it in every day. Um, it's very balancing, very nice for hormones, very nice for the um, kind of for the transition of the of the womb um, and of the hormones, you know? So that's one that I love a lot. Um, yes, I love bergamot. And what is hip closing? I know a lot of people are not familiar with that. Um, so yeah, the hip closing is about really shifting. It's, it's actually doing a gentle shifting of the, of the connective tissue um, using a scarf in a very particular mm -hmm. way. And, and it's just, it's sort of like, you'll see the people um, with the, the scarf. It's not something I can, you know, easily teach, you know, teach right. or, or would teach even. Um, uh -huh. but, it's, but it's something which um, is about shifting to close, not just the physical though. And this is the thing that I think, you know, um, it's, it's an important element, right? Is you're actually, are, you are shifting someone physically by having this scarf around them and doing this kind of, these kinds of movements and uh -huh. three or four different kinds of movements, but also um, it's shifting the energy. And, it, and the idea is that there are certain things which create, um, so, you know, one of my teachers taught me like, you don't even sit on the ground. Like you don't sit on a cold ground, especially if you're in an important transitional time, like if you're in men menstruating or if you're in menopause um, uh -huh. or post-pregnancy, you don't even sit directly on the ground. You should always have something under you because it's a way you can be, it's a time you can be leaking a lot of your chi, you know? She didn't use uh -huh. the word chi, but she used the word life force, right? This idea of we have this energetic life force. Um, uh -huh. You talked about this measurable, you know, field that we have. And, um, you don't, you want to be able to kind of keep that in your body because that's part of women's, women's particular life force. Um, we have a way of losing it through the, you know, in those periods of time where we're a little more transitions and transformations, whether it be menopause, menstruation, pregnancy, are, we're always more vulnerable. We're more energetically vulnerable during those powerful transformational times. They're they're powerful, and we're uh -huh. growing. We're becoming another thing, you know, which is an amazing, amazing thing to be able to go through those transformations. But we need to support ourselves um, during those times as well. So hip closing is just one of those things. Using those oils, um, drink, you know, and drinking lots of uh, drinking lots of teas. But also another thing that I love is spiritual bathing plant bathing mm -hmm. and, um, where you can, and you can even do this from tea, but you can do it also from um, like flowers. And, you know, my teacher would sometimes use like cacao or wine at the end if she wanted to kind of, you know, like if she wanted someone to feel more amorous and deeply in love, like she might use like one red rose blossom, um, you know, and uh, boil that for like 10 minutes 
and then take it out and then add a little bit of red wine and a little bit of mm -hmm. cacao and then pour it over the person in once it's cool, you know, you can add a little water to it, no, no scalding. And then, you know, pour it over the person um, outdoors, uh, best if you have nothing on, or in your shower, in your bathtub, soak in it even. Um, and, and it sounds like kind of like, ah, oh, that sounds nice. You know, the first time I experienced this plant bathing, I thought, okay, like it's gonna be like a nice little, you know, cup of tea poured on my head. Um, <laughs> The, the amazing thing that I experienced and was with a lot of other people um, is that we were all like, first of all, the feeling was like something just, you know, going through your entire body. And then everybody was like glowing and sparkling afterwards. Um, so I'm a big believer in doing plant bathing. It's something, you know, I even recommend and prescribe in my, in my practice is as a way of um, experiencing that kind of healing. It's so important, I think, to know that we can sometimes bathe in plants or brush ourselves with plants like that's you know one of my um something i offer for free on my on my website is just uh -huh. a way to make a brush of different kinds of plants and clean your body with it very powerful at all times but especially you know times like menopause where it's a time of transition um and it feels wonderful Yes, and uh, for everybody listening, Dr. Maya is giving you her Earth Healing Bundle, and that's one of the things in there, the plant brushing video tutorial. Do you want to tell them what else they will find in there? Um, sure, yeah, these are just like there are um, some samples of different things that I, that I really love and think, you know, not every treatment or, or practice is, you know, resonates for everyone, but these are some of the ones that I think are the easiest to do for ourselves and um, the most beneficial for the most number of people. So mm -hmm. a pranayama breathing exercise is, is one, and I love it because it stimulates the parasympathetic uh, nervous system. Um, so it's like a rest and digest, kind of turning off fight or flight, or at least turning it down. Um, and then there's a plant brushing you know, tutorial, which is just shows you how to kind of make a brush of plants and clean your body with it or someone else. And very, it's very powerful, very simple, very accessible, very powerful. Um, there is a heart meditation that I have there, which I, you know, I am speaking you through and guiding you through um, that I love because it kind of is very healing and opening for the heart. Um, and I have a a little um, kind of PDF, a little um, mini course on uh, grounding. So some of the ways that you can just ground yourself. Um, so I really, I love it because I think it is, there's something in it for everyone and mm -hmm. you know, people do uh, find it really helpful, I think. Yes, and so we'll put the link in the show notes, but they can also go to your website to access these, correct? Absolutely. Do you want to spell that for them just so they have it just right? Sure, it's super easy. It's um, drmaya.com, D-R-M-A-Y-A.com. And you'll see there that you can click on free gift and um, you'll get mm -hmm. the, the access to all of them. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that. And I could talk to you for a long time because you have so much interesting information that I think people need. And I can't wait to see your book. I think that's very exciting. And the name of the podcast is Her Brilliant Health, which you certainly exemplify. Could you share with everyone what that means to you? Um, you know, for me, Her Brilliant Health is about trusting your intuition 
and um, trusting your own knowing in your body. Um, I think we have these ancient ways of knowing. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that in a mystical kind of woo-woo way. Like, I think it, it's very practical, you know, and I love teaching about the science of intuition um, because there's a lot of science behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, her brilliant help is connecting to that deep intuition. And for me, um, through the power of, of nature and Mother Earth. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all of this wonderful information and the wonderful gifts that you're sharing with any, everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Maya. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today, everybody. I'm Dr. Kieran with another episode of Her Brilliant Health. Hopefully you will go to Dr. Maya's website and download her Earth Healing Bundle with these wonderful tools and try them out. And definitely looking forward to her book that she described that she has forthcoming about how we got the separation of spirituality and the energetics of our physical health um, from the physical self many years ago. So looking forward to that. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you in the next episode.